0: I can still recall giving my first message. It was on this platform, and among many reasons I was uh, intimidated by that first message, I remember looking at the bulletin and it said, a message from God. So if you'll notice in your bulletins, we don't say message by God, I just say message. Because it's kind of intimidating. But we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is not only a message by God, it was a message from God. And as I shared with you the first week that we looked at this, that I was going to break down the sermon into multiple parts because I knew my own limitations and that I'm certainly not Jesus and don't speak with the same authority that he had. And I also understand who my audience is, and you wouldn't wait that long uh, for me to be concluded with a single sermon on the Sermon of the Mount. So we've broken it down into seven parts. We're now in the sixth part. Part of the problem with breaking it into parts is that sometimes you lose the overall context of the message. So while I'm going to be speaking on this part I want to I'm going to reinvigorate the context. But the verse verse in this message almost needs to be if you will attached to last week's message about do not judge Least you be judged. And so we kind of look at that word as a sense of, oh, I can't come to any kind of discernment or, or whatever about you. And that people tend to use that phrase as a sword rather than as a internal inspection. And so one of the reasons I come to the conclusion that when Jesus said, do not judge, he's not talking about uh, making discernment, is this very verse. So in chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus continuing on in his Sermon on the Mount says this, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, remember, we're supposed to not judge. And so there are those of you who are just animal people. You love your pets. You love your pets so much that you think they're part of your family. Some of you even think they're going to be in heaven with you, and you get upset with me when I don't think so. So I understand that you have the love for your... But when Jesus talks about dogs, he's not talking about your fluffy. In their culture, dogs were scavenging animals. They scavenged, and that's what made them unclean. Anything that was a scavenger would be considered unclean. In dogs, typically, we have that phrase, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Because oftentimes, our pets, our dogs, will do that very same thing. But I want you to understand, Jesus is saying, don't give what is holy to dogs. So now he's, in essence, we need to discern two things, what is holy and who are dogs. Dogs would, in I believe, in Jesus's mind, it are those that have a antithesis, a hatred from what you're presenting, or at least at minimum, a lack of understanding what that is. So, kind of give you the, the doggy view. I've told you what's holy is those things that are separated unto God. And so one of the things that we share is that if you have certain china that you only use on special occasions, then on those special occasions that china is holy, you've set it apart. So you only use it there. Now some of you, your paper plates are holy because those are the only times you use those things. So what I want you to understand is when Jesus says don't give what is holy to the dog it would be the same thing as if you took your china, put the dog food in it, and then set it before the dog. The dog's not going to go, "Oh, wait a minute, I'm not worthy to eat in this special bowl. This, 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 is, this is too valuable for me to eat, so I'll sit here and wait for you to place it in another bowl. No, he's going to eat it. He doesn't discern that that special bowl that you put out is holy. He lacks that discernment. And not only that, Jesus says, if you cast those things that are valuable, your pearls, and I don't think that it's by accident that Jesus uses the term pearls because he also gives a lesson about a person who discovers a pearl of great price, finds it, then goes back and sells everything that he has so that he can buy the land, that So I believe what Jesus is talking about is those heavenly things when you don't cast those before swine, which again are unclean animals who will eat and devour anything and when a pearl, there's no discernment, it doesn't. Well, so it's going to turn on you. Because a swine eats anything. It eats sloth, It will even eat its own children. And so he's saying Don't give what is valuable. Don't give what is holy. So how do we turn that into people? A person who is so anti-God is one that you say, I'm not going to give what is holy. I'm not going to give what is valuable. Now, this still takes discernment. I'll give one extreme. When Jesus was teaching, the Pharisees and scribes would follow him and listen, but they were never interested in the truth. They were looking at ways to oppose him and to condemn him. And therefore, what he did was he started teaching in parables. He didn't stop teaching. He started teaching in parables so that the Pharisees would not understand what he was doing. And most of the time, his own disciples didn't understand what he was saying. So what he would do is he would teach them what the parable meant, which is very good because I've, there have been a number of times when Jesus will say, here's a parable, and this is what it means, and then somebody will tell me what the parable means, which is different than what Jesus said it meant. And I'm going, Jesus, the one who gave the parable, he gave the interpretation, I'm going with him. And so there are those people who are so hostile to God that you're wasting your time continuing to try to convince them of the gospel. However, again, you need to be discerning because sometimes people are hostile to God or don't believe that there's a God. Not because they don't believe that there's a God, but because they're mad at it. Because something bad happens in their life or something devastating happened, and they blame God. And if that's the case, you need to understand that so you can get to the heart of the problem. But if those who are there who are just anti-God, we move on. Part of the problem with doing social ministry is we um, will put our messages out on Facebook and the Internet. And we did a promotion one time. And uh, we got back some comments that I can't repeat. Because one, hopefully we'll put this back on the Internet. And two, there are children here. But one of the, one of the words started with an F. I'm going, wow. That's pretty hostile for what we did. Now, I can't talk to this guy and say, why do you hate us and God this much? Is it because you're mad at God or because you're, you're so evangelistic in your, in your atheism that you hold us hostile? So it's, again, it's those types of things that we need to determine who we're wasting our time or not. And just because somebody's hostile to the gospel doesn't necessarily automatically make them a dog or a swine. But you need to find out. But then once we are discern that, walk away. And I know you think that's difficult and hard. But guess what? We're not the ones who does the saving anyway. We're simply to plant seeds and go on. And now Jesus comes to another part in His Sermon on the Mount that almost everybody looks at this as a discussion on prayer. I have a slightly different view. I believe it's a discussion on prayer, but not prayer generally. I think it has to do with prayer specifically in a particular area of our lives. Well, why do I think that? Because when Jesus started his ministry, he started preaching and he preached the same message that John the baptizer did, that the kingdom of God is at hand. When he started the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He starts out talking about the kingdom of heaven. When he talks about prayer and the sample prayer that we oftentimes call the Lord's Prayer, he says, May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When he talks about other things, he says, when there's anxiety and worries, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. Jesus, throughout his sermon, his context, his theme, is the kingdom of God. And so what I think he's talking about here is when it comes to prayer the kingdom of God so he says this ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who receives who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened so when you look at most of the commentaries and what most of them, they're saying well this is prayer that you need to pray that you need to be consistent and you need to be determined. And so you ask and you seek and you knock. And I think what Jesus is saying, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Ask for it. Seek for it. Knock for it. Be consistent seeking God and His kingdom and ask, seek, knock. But others say, no, it's prayer in general. And as such, they think, well, whatever you ask for, you get. Whatever you seek for, you get. And whatever you knock for, you get. As long as you're consistent, determined. In essence, their view of these scriptures is God is the great Santa Claus in the sky, and He's going to give all the gifts that you want. But Jesus says this, Or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a snake? Will he? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you what is good to those to ask him. The best way I can kind of describe this is because, again, most of us think, well, if I ask, I ask, I ask, God's going to give it to me. Jesus says, we're evil people. but oh, Even evil people give good gifts to their children. And so, for instance, nobody in this room that I know of can afford to give their child a Maserati. But let's say that's why I'm going to use a Maserati, because then you won't feel like I'm picking on you. So your child who just turned 16 and just got their driver's license says, Mom, Dad, I want a Maserati you barely passed your test. You can't can't drive a Pinto. But I want a Maserati. But don't you understand? A Maserati takes great skill to drive. And I love you so much, I don't want you to wrap the Maserati around a tree. I can afford a new one, but I care more about you than the Maserati. So I'm going to give you the safest car I can find and whatever, you know. Volvo, whatever you think is the safe car. We say, I want to buy you that car because it's a safe car. It's one you're capable of driving. And so we give the gifts to the children because we know who our children are and we know what their capabilities are. But somehow when it comes to God, it's, no, no, God's going to give me a Maserati. He gives good gifts, not gifts that are hurtful. And so in case I'm wrong, that Jesus isn't talking about asking about the kingdom, and I don't think I am, because even David, in his falling away from God, when he sinned, he said, Lord, create in me a clean heart. He didn't say, God, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. He goes, No, no, God, give me a clean heart. He asked. We're to seek first the kingdom of God, we're to seek it find it and we're to knock and be consistent because that's the first and foremost thing we should do but in case I'm wrong and it's about prayer in general I want you to take we want to take a look at prayer and what James has to say about it in James chapter 1 verse 17 it says this Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Everything that we receive, every good gift, every good thing comes from God. And we should acknowledge that. The good things that happen, the good gifts, are from God. And then James says, really hits us between the eyes. Because I've asked God a number of times, how come I can't be rich? Now, when you take a look at the general population of the world, I am. I live far above the vast majority of people who are on this earth. So in reality, I am. But I'm thinking about riches as it compares to my society. How come, God, I can't have a 32-room mansion with 17 bathrooms and an Olympic-sized pool and servants? How come I can't have these things? I mean, I'll be good. How come I can't win the lottery? I'll give you 90%. God's going, I don't need your 90%. I have everything I already need. Know what James says. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you. Is it not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. Now again, murder doesn't necessarily mean that you kill somebody physically. It can mean you said some really mean things to people. You are envious and cannot obtain So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Well, God, I did ask you to be rich. I've even knocked. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasure. So when you hear people say, well, all you got to ask God, and he'll give it to you. We also need to remember what are our motives. And will becoming rich into our society's view. Bring us closer or further away from God. And the scriptures seem to indicate the more wealthy and powerful the king's of Israel were, the more they got away from him. That's why Jesus in his sample prayer says, Lord give us this day our daily bread so that we're always dependent on him. So I think when Jesus is talking about asking and seeking and knocking that he's talking about the kingdom. If that's the first priority that we should have, to seek first the kingdom of God, then that's what we should be asking about. That's what we should be seeking about. And that's what we should be knocking on. And then Jesus, in this portion, has one other thing we're going to talk talk on. And it's verse 12. It's called generally the golden rule. So I'm going to read it. It says, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets." Now, most of us doesn't, don't have historical perspective. But there are those, and they're right, who will say Jesus didn't come up with this. This isn't original to Jesus. I have a slight disagreement with, with them. I'll tell you what that is in just a moment. There was a rabbi asked by some Gentiles before Jesus ever came on the scene. And they asked him, give give us a simple statement of the law and the prophets. And this rabbi said, do not do that which is hateful to you to someone else. So in essence, He came up with the golden rule and the negative. Don't do what you don't want to have done to others. Jesus, I believe, does, does more than just say positive. He doesn't say don't do something. He says do how you want to be done too. It's not just a reversal it's far more impactful. Let me give you an example. In our society, bullying is a problem. And so under the rabbi's view, you would say, if you don't want to be bullied, don't bully. It's a refrain from doing bad things to other people. Jesus isn't saying Just refrain from doing bad things to other people. Jesus is saying, do good things to other people. Be proactive. So instead of saying, if you don't want to be bullied, don't bully. Jesus is saying, if you want a friend, be a friend. If you want kindness, give kindness. It's positive, but it's proactive. We're to do things. We're not to refrain from things. And all too often we try to tell people what not to do rather than who to be. And our God is one who does for us. He doesn't simply restrain from it. He does good to us. Jesus loves us not because he expects us to love him back but because that's who he is. So we are to do good to others, not, we hope that they do back. But notice Jesus doesn't say, do good as you want to be treated, but if they don't treat you that way, you can do anything you want. Jesus says, treat people the way you want to be treated, even if they don't treat you that way. Because they didn't treat Jesus that way. Jesus taught about love. All the Pharisees could do is figure out a way to kill him. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They still kept pounding the nail. And he's called us uh, to do good to others. And he's not giving. us, well, here's a list of Bunch of things we ought to do or don't do. He's saying, I got a bigger list. How do you want to be treated? And that's a really long list. We usually want to be treated with respect and dignity and love and kindness and value and friendship and on and on and on. Jesus says, if those are the ways you want to be treated, then treat people those ways. It's a golden rule. But it's a rule that we don't need to read somewhere. What's on your heart? Treat people that way. And this is the law and the prophets. John tells us, how can you say you love God if you hate your brother? Jesus has given us a way to say, how is it that I treat my fellow members? Do I treat them the way that I want to be treated or not? And if the answer is I don't, that there's oppression that they need to be done. You say, well, I've been successful here, but I'm struggling here. Ask, seek, knock. Just as Jesus started his Sermon on the Mount, with those who are in and see the kingdom of God and those who are called The children of God. Jesus is saying. You can look. And see how you are. And determine. Who you are. And our God. As Jesus says. Is a good father. He gives us good gifts. We. As parents. Try our best. To be good parents to our children. And sometimes we fail. And sometimes because of our lack of understanding, we give a gift that may be detrimental. But God knows everything. And God knows what's beneficial for us and what's not. He doesn't withhold good gifts. He gives To his children. And Jesus ultimately is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't be so concerned about what you have. But who you are. We are. The children. Of the everlasting. Loving. Eternal who for some reason, because of who he is, has decided to love you and me. He's a good, good father. And all the people said,